Too often, faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzer. Great to be with you as always. We've almost made it through January, the first month of the winter season of this like true, like trudging through winter season. I know winter starts in December, but it feels like it starts in January, right? So we're almost through the first month. So onward and upward. And then February is going to fly by because there's not even that many days in the month, right? (laughs) We all know that's not true. Anyway, great to be with you today. Going to take a little bit of a shift. As I mentioned, we've been talking a lot about winter on this podcast for the entire month of January. And I'm just going to take a bit of a switch today. Each month this year, and maybe even beyond this year, I'm going to highlight little sections from the Bring It Home book that I put out with Lake Drive Books back in November. And we're going to take a story from there. And so here's the deal. If you don't like reading or if you don't want to buy the book, that's cool. Just listen to the podcast for a year, year and a half, and we'll get through most of the stories. Just one each month. It'll be great. And it'll save you 20 bucks. Speaking of Bring It Home, you can purchase it if you choose to and you haven't yet. So two ways to do that. Just go wherever you like to purchase your books from, whether that's Amazon or a local bookstore, Barnes & Noble, wherever, and you can get it there. Otherwise, if you want a signed copy, just reach out to me at hello at mattkinzera.com and I'll send that over to you. The only thing, if you get a signed copy, it's going to take a few more days to get it in your hands because Matt doesn't offer Matt Kinzera Prime. So just keep that in mind as we go. Another thing that I want to bring up before we jump into the content content of this podcast, and this just might be a great time to consider something like this. I My story is that I was deeply involved in faith and religion, even as an occupation for most of my adult life, and kind of came to this place where it all felt like it unraveled, and it all felt like it was unraveling, and I literally felt like I lost my faith in the midst of it. So, I, I no longer feel that way at all. I couldn't feel more alive in my faith than I do today. But it was a, it's, it's been a journey. It's been a really long process. And so I just wanted to put something out there that maybe could be helpful to people who are going through the same thing. So if you right now are in the midst of this space where, gosh, you're just really struggling with your faith and maybe you used to go to church all the time, you're not going anymore. Maybe you used to read the Bible all the time, you're not doing that anymore. Maybe you used to be a person who was deep into your prayer life and now you don't do that anymore. And you're just, it feels like you're just trying to grab at something and you can't get a hold of it. Well, check out on the website, mattkinzera.com. There's a free seven-day devotional. And I didn't know what else to call it, so I called it a devotional because that made sense in my mind. So I apologize if that even is a little bit triggering to you. But it's a seven-day guide, and it's called Finding Faith Again. And so if you're struggling in your faith journey, you may want to grab onto that. Like I said, it's free. And all I did is I kind of laid out my journey to this point to getting through that and some really helpful things along the way. And like everything I do, it's all in story form. So you get you get more stories <laughs> to highlight whatever it is that's being talked about. And again, you could knock it out in seven days or you could knock it out in seven weeks. But there's seven different 
parts to it. And if you're even remotely in that space where you feel like you're losing your faith, but you don't want to, that might be something you want to grab. All right, back to this episode. We are going to focus this entire episode on religious leaders. Before I jump in, it's vitally important that you know that I'm not talking about spiritual abuse today. And so as we talk about religious leaders, spiritual leaders, faith leaders, what we're going to be talking about today is not about people who have been abusive, okay? So if you've had a situation, which I know many of you have, where you had an abusive situation with a faith leader, whether that was in your church or your college group or wherever, I want you to know that as we go through this today, that's not the conversation that we're having. So exclude the people who have been overtly abusive in your life and think about the other people who have filled up this space. And we're not just going to talk about religious leaders. We're also going to talk about relationships in general. So I'll keep that at the forefront as we're talking about these things, because I never want people to think that what I'm saying is I'm trying to let any religious leader who's been abusive off the hook. That couldn't be farther than truth than the truth. Uh, I'm perfectly fine keeping those religious leaders on the hook and not letting them off the hook. Now, when I was growing up, I would say there were three just foundational religious leaders, faith leaders in my life. And so that's what I talk about in the book. And the chapter is called The Father, The Nun, and The Holy Smoker. Now, I grew up Catholic, as I talk about all the time on this podcast, and I went to Catholic school. I was an altar boy. Like, I was all-star Catholic. One of the biggest, like, I, I remember there's this one time, if there was a time when I got more upset with my parents than any other time as like a grade school kid, <laughs> it was the time when one of my friends called and couldn't be the altar boy and he was supposed to be the altar boy that morning. And so he asked if I could fill in for him. And, and I'm like, I am the all-star altar boy. Of course, I'm going to fill in for you. And then my parents said I couldn't. <laughs> like I, I threw an absolute tantrum that morning. I can still <laughs> remember it. And I was pretty young. So as I was growing up Catholic, our priest was, his name was Father Pat. And Father Pat was maybe five feet tall. And that is not an exaggeration. He was maybe five feet tall. He was an Irish import. And so he had this really thick Irish accent. And, uh, and he, was, he was fiery. Like he, if you think of an Irishman, if you think of like a short little Irishman, this guy, like he fit all of the stereotypes. I remember, you know, because I was a, a kid, right? As a boy. And so we'd have our religious classes with him in the, and we'd do that in the church. And I can remember those times when me and my buddies were goofing off and he would just stop everything and just look us in our eyes. And he'd get these beady little eyes and his cheeks would just get like, they would, his, his actually, his whole face would just get so red and he would let us have it. And so he had the temper of a, what we think about as an Irishman. Um, and he had the accent and, but here's the thing that temper and like none of those things, none of his negative things kept me from really appreciating him. I actually thought the guy was amazing so much so that when I was young, I wanted to be a priest because I wanted to be like father Pat. And I remember a couple things he was known for deer hunting season. He would do a mass on Saturday of opening weekend of deer hunting and it's because the deer hunters aren't going to want to go Sunday morning because they're going to want to be out in their deer stands. And he would knock out that mass in like 
20 minutes. And that is no joke. 20 minutes, entire mass. An entire mass for you non-Catholics is generally about an hour. Father Pat would rock through it in 20 minutes. Unbelievable. A feat never seen done before, other than at Boscobel in the Immaculate Conception Church with Father Pat. He also was known for putting on this incredible Irish festival every year. And so every year, the gymnasium of my school, Immaculate Conception School, every year, that would be transformed into this party place. And he would bring in some of his like Irish friends, so fiddlers and dancers and drummer. It was just incredible. And then the church would form a little band, which I got to be the drummer of. My dad was in the choir and, and there's the green beer. We did green beer in church. Well, in the in the church school, <laughs> I don't know if that's better or worse. And then uh, corned beef and cabbage, the whole nine yards. And it was so fun. I swear it was just like one of the most enjoyable days of the entire year and everybody got up for it and it was so incredible. Now, the thing, speaking about fitting into stereotypes, <laughs> Father Pat liked to drink. The man liked to drink a lot. And the problem with the person who likes to drink a lot and being a priest is you have access to like tons and tons and tons of really shitty wine, right? Like the, the place where he lived was actually connected to the church. So it's called the rectory. Again, I'm giving you a little bit of a Catholic lesson today, but the place he lived is connected to the actual church. It's called the rectory and his door went straight from his house right into where the wine was stored like right into that room. And so he could go and get wine. I'm sure nobody was keeping tabs on how much wine was there. So all that to say, Father Pat developed, or maybe he always had it, but we found out that he developed a bit of a habit. And it literally, as a kid, what I remember is we went from Father Pat being there every day, everybody loving him, to then one day he was just literally gone because they took him away so he could go to rehab. And so this guy that I looked up to, this guy that I wanted to be like, this guy that I, you know, I, I'm not going to lie, I put him up on a little bit of a pedestal. Before I got through my grade school years, he was taken away because he turns out that the person that I looked up to as a faith leader was actually an alcoholic as well. The other faith leader in my life was a sister. So she, this is the nun. He was the father. This is the nun. The nun was the leader of the Montessori daycare that I went to before going to Immaculate Conception Church. It was right across the street from it, actually. And she was very strict. Her name was Sister Olive Janab. She was very, very strict. And she would make us do whatever she wanted us to do. But the thing about Olive, and again, I, I didn't look down on her for any of this. But the thing about Sister Olive is that she would make us do things. For example, she would make us eat just all I can say is it was like some horrible meals, <laughs> like bean burgers, which as a kid, you don't want a bean burger. Lots of salads, stuff like that. I remember my brother, in order to get rid of his bean burger, he would like tear it apart because we'd sit at this big long table for lunch. He would tear it apart piece by piece and just throw it under the table. So <laughs> all, the, all the feet of all the little kids would just stomp on it. And before he knew it, it was gone and he didn't have to eat it. And then he would like stuff the lettuce in his pants. I remember my mom once... She was doing laundry and John, my brother, forgot to empty his pants and <laughs> she does his laundry, pulls it out of the dryer and there's just handfuls of lettuce. So anyway, she would make us eat all of this quote unquote healthy food, but she would stand in the corner eating whatever the hell she wanted. She never ate what she made us eat. And there's so many other things too. She was like fascinating and strong and strict and she was, she was really tall and she had this just 
these dark eyes and this dark hair and she was all it felt like she was always watching you have you ever had somebody in your life where it's like man i don't know where you are but i can feel you watching me right now that's how it was with sister Olive. i got in trouble so many times at that place if you got in trouble you had to sit on the steps and there was several times when mom and dad would come pick me up or it was mom usually that came and picked me up and i'd be sitting on the steps and that sucked but anyway Sister Olive was like a, she was a hypocrite. She'd make us do all these things. She'd have these, all these expectations out of us and she wouldn't adhere to him, to any of them herself. You know, case in point, her eating oatmeal while she's making us eat like pancakes with molasses on it. Swear to God, it was horrible. So again, two of my first early faith leaders, the father was taken away as an alcoholic. And then I have the nun who was an abs like even as a pre- school kid I knew that she was a hypocrite like I could see it because <laughs> I can remember I could picture in my head right now I can picture her standing in the corner being a hypocrite and so those are two of my early faith leaders I still thought Olive Janab was awesome I really enjoyed her and uh, I really looked up to her as well and so what I view today as maybe some flaws that she had like I, I still was somebody that I looked up to and then the last one this is the holy smoker so I like I said I went to Catholic grade school and our principal, her name was Mrs. Haney. Mrs. Haney was a chain smoker. Like, I'm telling you, it was, I don't, she couldn't have been inside more than five minutes before she needed a smoke break. I mean, it was that bad. And, and she also drank coffee all the time. And again, I would get in trouble once in a while, maybe a little bit more than once in a while. So I'd have to go into her office. And man, if you had to go into Mrs. Haney's office, because you were in trouble or really for any reason, you just had to hold your breath because the wretched smell of smoke laced over top with the stink of coffee was just like, I can tell you that I can picture Olive, Sister Olive Janab standing in the corner. I can remember, like I can smell Mrs. Haney as I sit here today. I can remember the rancid smell. And every recess, that woman, again, another one of my faith leaders, the principal of my Catholic school was just chain smoking. She was just rocking those three inches of tobacco all the time, no matter what. And so the three main faith leaders of my life were an alcoholic priest, a hypocritical nun, and a chain smoking principal. And the reason that I share that story and I bring that story up is because when I, you know, coming into faith circles in my adult life, I never struggled to view religious leaders as human. It was not a problem and flawed because everything I saw growing up were religious leaders, again, who I looked up to and still respected, even though they were more flawed. I would say like every one of them probably was more flawed than my parents or than most of the adults, most of my teachers, you know, and these are the people that are supposed to be teaching me about God. And never once did I really question as like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're a little messed up, but that doesn't mean like I don't give you that space that you've trained to to be in, right? And so it's just an interesting backstory of my life. And so then going into evangelical circles and things like that, um, there's definitely times when when I would put faith leaders on pedestals, I would say, but I was much more hesitant to do it than probably a lot of folks. And the reality is this, when we, th you know, we live in this 
this fame culture. We live in this culture that people do get put up on pedestals. If you think like, I'm such a huge reader, so I'll put authors up on pedestals and um, other people, you know, love movies. And so maybe for you, you think of actors and you're like, what would it be like if I actually met them? You know, we all, it's football season, it's playoff season in the football, you know, area right now. And so a lot of time athletes, we can put them on pedestals. I was a big uh, Michigan still I'm a pretty big Michigan fan to this day because my dad took me to a I'm from Wisconsin but my ba- my dad took me to a Michigan Wisconsin game when I was growing up a football game and Wisconsin scored the first three points and Michigan scored the remaining 56 and so I decided that day to become a Michigan fan and have been my whole life but I remember um, I went with a friend of mine who was also a Michigan fan to see a basketball game once. And this is, again, if you're a sports fan, you might remember the Fab Five, but there was these five freshmen that played basketball for Michigan that they were just incredible. And so, so I went to the game and I'll never remember, I'll never forget as like a middle school age kid, like when I, we went down to see them come out on the court and it was just so incredible because they were so tall. Like it, they really, they literally lived up to what I thought. Like they just, I always viewed them as superheroes. And when I saw them in person, I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys are obviously superheroes. They're twice. There's like two of me. You stack me on top of me and I'm your, your height, you know, but most of the time, you know, and, but even with athletes and things like that, at the end of the day, we're all people. And yes, certain people have certain skills that get them in certain spaces or they, they do things and they get lucky or whatever. But we tend to put superhero status on people. They may or may not want it. That's irrelevant. But we can do that with authors, actors, and athletes. But we can also do it with religious leaders. Because if there's somebody in your life that you look up to, so if faith is really important to you, and then there's this person that you look up to because maybe they're a really gifted speaker or maybe they're a really gifted singer or guitar player and something about them. Or maybe they're just great at like hospitality and, and along your faith journey, they meant something to you. Or maybe it's somebody that you've never even seen in person, but some pastor at some mega church that you watch online or whatever. It's real easy if we're not careful. It's, it's real easy to assume because of what they do for a living that they are capable of things that they are not, which is being some sort of perfect form of a human being. You know, so often we hear in the news, pastors at these big churches who, man, they do some really messed up shit. And, and so many people are so shocked and surprised by it. And every time it happens, I just sit back and I'm thinking, well, yeah, you gave that much power to one human being and you didn't think something horrible was going to happen? You didn't think they were going to screw up really bad? Of course they're going to. That's what power does to people. You put absolute power in somebody's hands and then you treat them like a some sort of crazy celebrity by the way that everybody knows them and they're on everybody's computer screens and when you go to church they're on these huge screens and there's thousands of people in front of them and everybody says it's because of you and we're so wildly surprised when they end up being very very human and we're shocked when they end up being very very capable of things maybe we never thought they were capable of and again that's because we're putting something on them we're putting them in a situation and we're putting them in a certain limelight that I don't, I'm not so sure any human being was meant to be in. So Jesus represents like the perfect human being, right? He also, I think it'd be safe to say he represents the perfect 
faith leader in my mind, right? And, and again, even if you don't view him as perfect, that doesn't matter. The idea is that he's this person that we follow because of the way he lived and the way he led. And because of that, we can look to his life and say, well, how did he do it? Well, he, he wasn't ever trying to be in the limelight. He wasn't ever trying to, you know, he didn't use what he could do as a way to draw attention to himself. He did quite the opposite. Even when he would heal somebody, like he'd tell them like, Hey, don't tell anybody about this. That's not the point of the whole deal here right now. And so again, we tend to sometimes, and I'm not all of us, right? And not in all situations, but sometimes we put our religious leaders on these pedestals and we think they're capable of things they are not. You know, when I was, honestly, like I didn't think Father Pat was capable of being an alcoholic because I was like, Father Pat is the direct connect between me and all of us and God. And so obviously he's not going to be a messed up alcoholic. Well, I found out that's not true. And that was just, I put him there. I don't think anybody else, I mean, maybe the whole congregation put him there, but for sure I put him on that pedestal and I put him up at that place where I didn't think he could fail. And then when he did, it was a great lesson for me to be reminded of, oh yeah, yeah, Father Pat's just a human being, right? He's he's not better or worse than me. He's just a human being. And so I think it's so important. Uh, every time I talk to somebody who has a negative church experience, you know, maybe they don't go to church anymore. Maybe this is you. Somewhere in that story is a time when a religious leader lets you down. Now, a reminder, I'm not talking about abusive situations here. So that let's take that out of it, okay? But let's just talk about times when we were disappointed by people that were leading something that we're a part of. And, you know, I've been a disappointment to people because I've been in faith leadership and church leadership for a, a big part of my career. I've been a chaplain, things like that. And so I fall in this category as well, where people put me up on a pedestal and I failed a lot of people a lot of times because I'm just a human being, right? I'm just a person. And, and so it's really fascinating to me what we do and, and maybe what that should cause us to consider is that we have to rethink the whole thing, rethink the whole way that we think about leadership in the context of faith. Because basically what we're doing is we're copying this top-down kind of pyramid mentality in our faith leadership and Jesus does not show us that. Jesus shows us this bottom-up, grassrootsy kind of leadership where nobody is above anybody else. Sure, there's some people that might be, you know, pushing things forward, but there's not necessarily people that have like the absolute answers and things like that. And so, again, thinking about the Father, the the Nun, and the Holy Smoker, like let's let's be okay with our faith leaders, whatever that means to us. Let, let's be okay with them being flawed. Now let's take this one step further because at this point it applies to some of us. Let's make it apply to all of us. We can also do the same things within the context of our family and within the context of our friendships. We can assume because we have a history together with our friends, with our family, or because we're related by blood, right? Or because we've just been through some things together that we assume that that person could never disappoint me or that person would never do X, Y, Z to me. And then we're surprised when one day they disappoint us or they hurt us or they do something that leaves us kind of reeling or questioning what, what's going on, right? But again, we need to recall that all of us are human beings that are capable of hurting other people. And the reality is, is within the context of friendship and family, the people, I, I promise you this, the people that will hurt you more than anybody else in this world are the people that love you more than anybody else in this world. You know, I have loved my 
spouse better than probably anybody else has loved my spouse in this world. And I've also hurt her more than anybody in this world has probably ever hurt her. That's just the truth, right? We're going to hurt and we're going to love the people we care for the most more than anybody else will. And so kind of that same mentality, let's not set ourselves up for failure in relationships, whether that's in a faith leadership relationship or whether it's in a family or friendship relationship. Let's not, not set us up for ourselves up for failure by assuming everybody in our life is going to, you know, always be great, always be perfect, always give us what we need. That's just not, that's not reality. And so if we can kind of level the playing field here and remember that we're all human, that's going to be very helpful as we move forward. Now, the reason that we are attracted to gifted pastors, gifted worship leaders, athletes, actors, authors, things like that, is because there's something about them that draws us toward them. Usually, when I see this go bad, it's charisma, it's talent, or it's ability, right? And so you see somebody who's got a ton of charisma, they just, they draw you in, right? Or you see somebody that's really gifted. Again, maybe they're a really gifted speaker, or maybe they're a really gifted musician, and you're just drawn toward that because it, it, it brings up some emotion. It brings up some fire within you. It bring, it's just a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I'm not saying any of this is bad. Or they just have this ability, ability to do something that, um, you didn't know was maybe was even possible, right? It's just this incredible ability to, to do something that maybe you've never run into before. Now, when we run into people with charisma, talent, and ability, it's very easy to want to put them up on a platform. And somebody told me once, it's like, uh, people put pastors and leaders on platforms just so they can shoot them off. <laughs> There's some truth to that. But there's nothing wrong with charisma. I, I hope that I bring charisma in every room I walk into. There's nothing wrong with talent. I've worked really hard to be good at the things I'm good at, as I'm sure you have. And there's nothing wrong with ability. You know, we want the people in our world that are teaching our kids, doing surgery on us. Think, like we want, we want people to have ability. All of those things are great. I am pro-charisma, I'm pro-talent, and I'm pro-ability. However, these need to be the thing, these need not be the things that cause us to put somebody up on a pedestal. The, the thing that we need to put a, at the forefront, no matter what, no matter what any of these people are doing that are drawing us towards us, the thing that we need to put in front of all of that is humility and authenticity. We've all heard those speakers or those pastors where they're really good with their words, right? They're really good with their words. And we've all met and seen pastors and speakers who use those words to manipulate other people and use those words to get what they hope for, to get what they want. And then we've also seen and maybe even met people who are very gifted speakers, pastors, speakers, motivational speakers, and you can just sense by the way they're speaking and by the way that they're engaging with their audience that humility and authenticity is just the name of what they do, right? They're willing to put themselves out there. They're willing to put their flaws out there. They're willing to put their failures out there. They're not afraid to talk about the things they struggle with. And they're never talking in a way that makes you feel like they've got it all together. They're just using what they're good at to be helpful, right? Same with ability, same with charisma. Like great leaders tend to have, they tend to be pretty charismatic. 
but we have to be careful if that charismatic doesn't that charismatic human that charismatic person doesn't carry with them any humility or authenticity mm, i would run the other way so very fast and so as we think through this context of faith leadership and honestly like i'm still kind of working through this a little bit in my mind because i'm not so sure what faith leadership should even look like in our world i'm just not I'm just not, like I have some ideas. It obviously should look in the same way that Jesus looked, but ah, I'm just, you know, struggling with the idea of church leadership. I'm struggling with the idea of pastoral leadership a little bit because, again, I feel like the very structure of it sets those people and ultimately all of us up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for failure by putting people on the top of a pyramid. We're setting each other up for failure by the way that we're treating religious leaders like superstars, right? And so our focus needs to be on the Father, the Nun, and the, and the Holy Smoker, right? <laughs> the focus needs to be on the reality that everybody in our lives, whether they're leaders in our life, whether they're charismatic, whether they're gifted, any of that stuff, like if if they're not humble and if we don't carry a sense of authenticity moving forward, it's not going to matter that. We're going to continue to repeat patterns that we've seen all throughout history, whereas we give people power, especially in a religious context, and then they fall. And when we're surprised, like I already talked about. And so I'm excited to see maybe what becomes of this as we move forward and how we can still allow leadership to happen within the circles that we operate in faith, but we rethink how we do that. And we put authenticity, honesty, and humility at the forefront of anything while we still allow people to operate in what they're really good at. So I'd love to hear your comments on this. Maybe, you know, reach out to me. Let me know about, you know, some of the faith leaders in your life. Uh, reach out to me and maybe give me some ideas that you have or that you're seeing in regard to, like, faith leadership moving to the future. Again, hop on the website, uh, grab the book, grab the seven-day Finding Faith. Again, a devotional. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, both uh, at Matt Kinzera. You can also find Chasing Goodness on Facebook at on Facebook on <laughs> on Facebook. And as always, thanks for listening, and let's continue to chase goodness together.